All right, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Come on, make some noise. Man, it's so good to see you guys. It's so good to see our Gracing Camp as well. Come on, can we get up for our Gracing Campus every Sunday right in there? I'm telling you what, God's doing some amazing things there. We've seen tons of people baptized and lives are being changed. And listen, we've not even begun to see what God's going to do right there in the Carter County area in that region. We're so excited. Well, man, if it's your first time here, first time in a long time, welcome back. We're so glad that you joined us this morning, especially as we kick off this brand new series called You Asked For It. So let me kind of give you a little bit of background about this series, how it's going to kind of work and go from there, just so that uh, you hanging out with us, if for some reason you're going to be out of town over the next couple weeks, uh, you might want to make sure you jump online and catch up with this one. And so uh, several years ago, probably about six, seven years ago, we did a series similar to this called You Asked For It. Everyone kind of asked some questions, you know, have some questions about the Bible, God, culture, all these different things. And you submitted your questions and they took the like top questions and kind of voted on, hey, which one do you want to address per Sunday? Well, this one's going to be a little bit different because instead of answering one question, I'm going to try to do several questions in uh, each Sunday. And uh, you submitted tons of questions. And honestly, every single one of your questions uh, in three Sundays, you're not able to answer every one of them. Some of the questions that you submitted, just so that maybe you're sitting here, you're aware, you're, or you're uh, at the Grayson campus, or if you're watching online, uh, some of the questions you submitted are like personal counseling questions, like you need counseling in that area, and you're asking specific questions, how do I handle a situation? And so if that was you and you wrote those types of questions, uh, that probably won't be addressed here, but I want to encourage you to reach out uh, to us or to someone to walk through that. Some of you had some legit questions, you're like, hey, I'm just curious, what's the Bible say about this? How do we deal with this? Um, or I'm going through this, how does this relate? Great questions. Obviously, though, we're not going to be able to answer every single one of them, but if it's something that you just have to have known or talked about, please let us know, uh, reach out, let's do something so we can walk through your specific question. Also, just want to give you a heads up that not this Sunday or the next Sunday, but the next Sunday and three Sundays, right? So actually be two Sundays after this one. Uh, The third week of this series, uh, series, we're going to be dealing with a lot of the questions you asked dealing with sexual sin. We're going to be talking about, listen, no holds barred on that one. I mean, everything that you ask, we'll bring it to the table. Uh, So I just want to give you a heads up, parents. If you don't want little Johnny to hear some things, I'm just going to be honest with you. You better put a headphones on him or take him uh, to our unbelievable kids ministry because we're going to address some pretty topics. And probably if it's a fifth grader, he probably already knows this anyway. But anyway, we're going to jump right into it. So I'm giving you hands up, a heads up. We will have some signs on the door to let parents be aware. Hey, today is a little bit more than a PG-13, okay? You do not want to be a teenager, but we're going to, you ask for it, we're going to jump in it. And so just giving you a heads up, in three weeks we're going to be addressing those issues. So what I've tried to do is take several of your questions and, and compile them together that might kind of flow, uh, but honestly there's so many of them we're going to have to jump through, and I'm going to do my very best to answer as best as I can some of your questions. Here's a couple disclaimers. Number one, I, I don't have all the answers. <laughs> Shocking, right? <laughs> like, like I know everything. I have, I have questions myself. There's a lot of questions that I have myself that I, I still am curious about. Um, there's things that uh, I don't understand. There's things that goes against sometimes how I feel, but it's not based on how I feel. It's based on what this word says. This Bible trumps my feelings. I feel that God should not. I feel that God should. I feel that this should happen. But if it's different than here, if there's a contradiction between my feelings and the word of God, this wins every 
single time. But there's things in here that I have like I don't understand that. God, why would you do that or why does that even happen? So maybe one of the best ways to uh, describe this is um, Pastor Trevor and I, we were talking a little bit this week and we just uh, walking through some things and I thought it was really good. So this is a good way to kind of set the, the tone here. Every one of us have convictions. Every one of us have convictions. These are things that you will die for. Like absolutely, you will, like, you will die for this conviction. One of the convictions here for us as your pastor at Bear Life Church, here's the conviction. Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross. He got up out of the grave three days later. And every single person, whoever you are, who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a conviction. You die for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's the one. Like, no, that's it. There's no changing whatsoever. And so all of us have convictions. And then we have beliefs. Beliefs are very, very, very extremely important. Beliefs are just a little bit lower than your conviction. You believe this. You wouldn't die for your belief, but you will fight for your belief. Like, you know, we'll go to the mats over this. I'm not going to die for it, but man, I'm going to fight for it. I believe this. Uh, an example would be, I don't know, let's, let's uh, pick one real quick. Um, come to my mind, creationism. Let's talk about creation. Maybe you believe that it's six literal days, and you believe that, and you'll fight for that. Maybe you believe that, that the earth is six trillion years old, and you have all this data, have, you have a certain belief that this is how you believe, and you'll fight for that belief. And, and we all have those different beliefs, right? Like you believe this, and I believe that, and I believe in this, and we'll debate about it and go back and forth. Uh, but you're not going to die for that belief, but you'll fight for that belief. So you look through something as simple as, not simple as, but six literal day creation. You go through Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you see the Hebrew word yom. Everywhere in the entire Old Testament, the Hebrew word yom means a literal morning and evening, means a day and a night, means a 24-hour period. And so when you look at that all the way through, even in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, used the word yom. Now, the debate is, did, did he really write Genesis chapter 1 and 2? Is that mystical? Is that really how it happened? And all that stuff. Now we go back to another core conviction is, what do you believe about the Bible? Like, is the Bible the foundational truth that you stand on? So now it goes past this, the belief of a literal day. But the reality is, I don't know what the whole big, big upset thing about it is. If God wants to create something in six seconds, he can do it. Like, if anyone God wanted to do it in six minutes, if, if God just said, boom, there it is, and it's all done, and didn't do a, a strategic way through it. So what I'm trying to say is, we have beliefs that you believe that you'll fight for them, but man, I'm not really going to die for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really, okay, cool, you believe your thing, that's awesome, and we're obviously going to go head to head uh, and, and, and change each other's ideas. And then you have opinions. Whoa, <laughs> do we have opinions, right? You see what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to, like, I'm not trying to, you know, simplify that, but now we have opinions, and here's what opinion is. I could be wrong. I may be wrong with that. You know, for instance, worship styles, that's your opinion. And then what happened is your opinion has become a belief that's become a conviction, and now you're die for a worship style. I would never die for a worship style, ever. But see what I'm saying? It's an opinion for you. Or, or it may be a Bible translation. And like that a Bible translation became opinion, I believe in this, that becomes a belief that's become a conviction, and now you're dying for a Bible translation. I'm not going to die for a Bible translation. Or, like this weekend, I'm talking and witnessing to a lady, it's a dress code in the church. The 60-year-old lady informed me that her, her sister would never go back to church anymore 
because the church told her she had to wear a certain outfit. That as a woman, she couldn't wear pants to church. She had to wear a dress to church. And because of that, she's never been back to church because someone's opinion became a belief, became a conviction that had no right to be a conviction. Are we tracking with me? And what happens is what we're seeing today is people are dying for their opinions. And what happens is, is when your convictions and your beliefs and your opinions all weigh the same and they all become so serious that you miss the most serious thing that Jesus came and he died, he got up out of the grave and whoever calls upon the name of will be saved. That's the conviction. So a lot of times we may come and you may say, well, how come Better Life Church or Pastor Daniel don't address this or don't talk about that? One, it could be just an opinion. Two, it could be a, a belief that we may be different, but hey, I'm going to fight for it, but I'm not going to die for that. Or you hear me talk about Jesus every single Sunday because that's the conviction. Only Jesus can change your life. Only Jesus can fix your marriage. Only Jesus can save people. Only Jesus can bring the prodigal. Only Jesus will fix the world, not politics. Sorry, that's a little bit too much coffee this morning. But what I'm saying, when I walk through some of this, some of this will be opinions. It's okay. Everyone has an opinion. Some of this will be beliefs. We'll fight for that. But then some will be this core conviction that you know and you die for those certain things. So with that said, which I think is an introduction into this, we're going to walk through some of the questions that some of you, this is a conviction for. Some of you, hey, that's a belief that, you know, I'll fight for that, but man, I'm not really going to die for that. And some of you realize that's just an opinion. And I have an opinion about it, you have an opinion about it, and let's go, and it's going to be okay. All right, so with that said, you ready to get started? All right, let's go. Let's walk through this together. All right, so the first question, this one is pretty kind of um, a basic question to ask, especially this really would apply to every single one of us here. And the question is, what exactly is salvation? And how do I know that I'm truly saved? Like, how do I know that I am saved? Okay, I said a prayer, I walked an aisle, I dunked, I was baptized, whatever it may be. I, I wrote in the back of my Bible at church camp when I was a kid. Like, how do I know that I'm truly, truly saved? Because what happens is we started this big shouting Christian, right? We're shouting, Jesus saved me, Jesus loved me. We go from shouting Christian to doubting Christian. We go from I know so to man, I hope so. Like, man, I hope I'm saved, right? Like right now, if we push you in a corner or got in a corner and you said, man, are you truly saved? You'd be like, uh, I think so. <laughs> you know, I think I am. Well, that was that one time, you know, back. <laughs> but you would say, I hope that I'm saved. But here's the reality. Listen to me. Every one of us, we can know so. You don't have to worry about I hope I am. Maybe I might be. Uh, I, I think so. I had this conversation one time. Uh, as, a, as a guy, great guy, and he, he was uh, a Muslim. And we were talking back and forth. This was almost two decades ago. And he, he talked to him and said, well, we talked about heaven and stuff. So tell me a little bit about heaven. He said, well, honestly, I have a, a, a good angel that sits on this shoulder and a bad angel that sits on this shoulder. And everything that I do good, this angel records. Everything that I do bad, this angel records. I have no idea until I die and I meet Allah face to face and it, it see if my good outweighs my bad. And if my good outweighs my bad, then I get to go to heaven. Folks, I'm here to tell you, you don't have to hope so, you can know so. You can know so. In fact, there's an entire book in that the Apostle John wrote, the epistle, 1 John. The entire book of 1 John is to give you the reality that you may know, like you know your name, if you are truly, truly saved. And so look at 1 John 5, 13. I want you to hear what he says here. He says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or the Son of God, watch this, so that you may know. Everybody say no. No. 
Like, no. And that word no means absolute 100% assurance. So how can I have absolute 100% assurance that I am saved? Well, the first thing you really got to look at, and you could go through the book, listen, if you're, if you're struggling with doubting your salvation, how do I know if I'm really saved? You need to go read 1 John. There's only five chapters, I believe. 1 John, read it, because it's so impactful on how do I know so. But one of the things in 1 John talks about is look at really the fruit that comes from your life. Like, what type of fruit does your life produce? Like, I can't judge your heart, but I can judge your fruit. I can look at your fruit. I don't know your heart, but I can see the fruit from your life. But let me tell you what, if you look at the fruit, it will tell you what the root is, right? Oranges don't grow on apple trees. This is not the right root, right? And so as you work through this, you got to look at the fruit in your life. And so there's a couple tests you could take. One, um, these are not going to be on the screen um, or the, these verses, but one is the commandment test. Am I keeping the commandments? First John, John writes this in chapter 2, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Like one of the tests in my life, if I know that I'm obeying his commandments, I can know that I'm saved. If someone claims I know God but does not obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in truth. But those who obey God's word truly show him completely they love him. That's how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their life as Jesus did. Now, one way that I know I'm truly saved is I begin to live a life for God, obey his commandments, and walk like Jesus. However, how many of you in here, and come on, especially my Grace campus, you've messed up since you gave your life to Jesus? Right? I still sin. In fact, probably most of you sinned this morning on the way to church. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I sin. But, I, but I'm saved, but I, I still sin. I still blow it, right? We still make mistakes. So there's the commandment test, because all of us don't keep this. All of us haven't kept all of the commandments, right? We, we, don't, we mess up. But one way I begin to test it is to look, am I obeying Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Then there's the love test. I love this. John chapter 3 says this. If we love our brothers and sisters who are in Christ, who are believers, it proves, don't miss that, love for the church, love for for Christians prove that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Their heart is still dead. They haven't truly been saved. So there's a commandment test. Am I keeping the commandments? There's a love test. Do I love the people around me? Now, we're not going to get along all the time, right? But there's my affection for the love for the body of Christ. Is it there? Have I seen that transformation? And then there's this like this commitment to follow Jesus test. He says in 1 John chapter 5, all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. I have written this, verse 13, to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's the commitment to Am I committed? To following Jesus. Now all of us sometimes, let's think about it, we've all messed up, right? All in between that. And you look at your heart, and your heart's going to show you, it's gonna, you're going to see the eternal work, what Jesus did on the cross, I believe that. The internal work of the Holy Spirit in me working. You know, let me tell you really how I knew one time. Let me just, this is kind of crazy, but let me give you an illustration real quick. How I knew that God really changed my life. 
You know, I told you before, you know my testimony, really wasn't raised in church, Christmas, Easter, yada, 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 I get all that. My eighth grade year, walked an aisle, said a prayer, was baptized, never met Jesus. My senior year at Belfry High School, walked an aisle, said a prayer, was baptized, and never met Jesus. One thing about your pastor, your pastor had a very, very filthy mouth. Filthy mouth. Really only when I was playing sports or very competitive. It wasn't so much just, hey, just hanging out, talking back and forth. I had this conversation with my sons that really you don't have a filthy mouth, you have a filthy heart. So if you're around somebody who always has a filthy mouth, what they're just showing you is their heart. If you have a dirty mouth, you have a dirty heart because what's in your heart is going to come out. And so my heart was very filthy, very filthy. I mean, like when God saved me, like 99.99% of my vocabulary had to leave. You know what I'm saying? And I'll never forget this, that God radically changed my life. It was September 2nd, 1997, radically changed my life. And two weeks later, we're out here in front of Laughlin. We're out playing some tackle football. And I go by and get to show my boys when I was in college where we used to play all this stuff. And we're playing tackle football. We're out there playing. And all of a sudden, the guys we're playing against were cheating. I mean, they were cheating really bad. I'm super competitive. I, I've grown a little bit now and that, just a little bit more humble. Um, but anyway, I was super competitive, and, and they were cheating. I was mad, and I was just all upset. And I turned around, and I said, man, that's a bunch of BS. And for the very first time in my life, my heart broke. And for the very first time in my life, conviction and the, and the testimony that God just saved me two weeks ago began to break me. And honestly, it was at that very moment that I understood that Jesus truly, truly saved me. Because there's no way in the world I would ever feel conviction. I would ever felt like this if the Holy Spirit of God wasn't in me. And that moment in the midst of that anger and lash out and saying that and that sinful moment for me was evidence that the Spirit of God lived within me. And it's at that moment the Holy Spirit in you will begin to convict you. If you say you believe in Jesus and your mouth hasn't changed, your lifestyle hasn't changed, your action hasn't changed, nothing has changed, you have the wrong belief. Because when the Holy Spirit comes within you, the conviction, how he leads you and guides you absolutely will change you. So are you truly committed to him? Because listen, no, believing in Jesus is not an, an intellectual exercise only. I, I love that. You don't just believe about Jesus. Watch this. You believe in Jesus. It's a big difference. Believing about Jesus than believing in Jesus. But you know what I love about this verse? It didn't say believed, past tense. Believed. It says believes, which is present tense. See, so many people say, well, I don't remember the day I got saved. I was a kid. I was at camp. I thought I was five. I might have been eight. And, and there's people out there who said, if you don't know exactly the moment, the hour, the day that you got saved, then I doubt you're really saved. There's, that's not the test in the Scripture. Yes, there was a day you got saved. Whether you remember not exactly the day and how that works, there was a day, there was a moment you gave your life, and the moment you were radically saved. But that's not a test in the Scripture. You've got to remember the day. And if you don't remember the day, you're not saved. It says this, how do I know I'm saved? Do you believe now? It's present tense. It's not, well, one time back there, back there when I was in kindergarten, I was in school, I gave my life to Jesus, lived like a hell in my whole life, and, and he saved me. Do you believe now? It's present tense. It's not past tense. Yes, there was a moment, but do you still believe today? And so maybe for some of you, that would set some of you free because the test is, do I believe and trust Jesus now? Do I believe in Jesus today? Do I trust him today? That is evidence, not so much of a past moment or a past 
experience. So here's the second question then. Or go back real quick. So what is salvation? What does it mean real quickly to be saved? It means this. That when I give my life to Jesus, Jesus took my punishment. Jesus took my penalty. Jesus took God's wrath, my wrath. I should, because I'm a sinner. And every one of us in here are sinners. God took my punishment and poured it out on his son. And if I put my faith and trust in his son, when we say that we're saved, we are now saved from God's wrath. That God will pour his wrath out on sin and eventually wrath the devil the demons will all be cast into the lake of fire that we know is to be hell that's when the time when God appoints it to come so when you hear someone says I got saved they're saying I got saved from God's wrath I got saved from the pits of hell and now I'm part of the family of God so then here's a great question if I am saved can I ever be unsaved can I ever lose it like, could I lose the salvation? Could I ever get to the point in my life where the Holy Spirit of God who lives within me said enough is enough and now I'm, I live in you. God takes the Lamb's book of life that your name has been written in blood, the Bible tells us, and he blots it out, smears it out because you have now gone so wicked out of the way that he kicks you out of the family of God. So can I lose it? So here's some questions. If you could lose it, how many sins does it take before God has enough with you? I mean, shoot. We saw King David with his adultery. with Bashi. We saw it took him a year before he repented. And the Bible says he was a man after God's heart. Like how long does God go, enough's enough, you're done, you're gone. You're kicked out of the kingdom of God and, and you can never be saved again. So if you rationalize that and walk that, how many sins? And here's the thing, when whoever, uh, people who believe that and teach that, they can't answer that. So the question is, did Jesus die for my past sins or did Jesus die for all my sins? Did he only die when I got saved, those ones I've already committed, or did he die for the ones I committed today on the way to church and the ones you will commit tomorrow on the way to work? Which ones? He didn't die for some, all, or none. Well, every one of your sins were future on the cross because you weren't even born yet and you've not even committed them yet. So when Jesus died, he died for all. Everybody say all. All sin. You would probably would agree with that. All sin. Jesus died for all the sins of the world. All the sins I ever commit. So when I give my life to Jesus, what about the ones I'll do 20 years from now? What about the ones I'll do 10 years from now? What about the ones I'll do tomorrow? Did he forgive those too? So this is what we call a lot of times, especially in this area that we're, we're living in, in this, area, this region, is a lot of times people say, well, that's the doctrine of once saved, always saved. Or the doctrine of eternal security, that I'm eternally secured. So the question is, can a Christian ever get to the point where they get so hell-bent, so hell-bound, that God kicks them out of heaven? That kicks them out of the Lamb's book of life. My belief on this, the Bible teaches, is that you can't lose it. That you can't lose what God has placed within you. I think when you say once saved, always saved, that's an incomplete statement. Because what happens is you're saying, well, you're giving me a license to sin. So if I get saved, then I can go live what I want, look at what I want, do what I want, smoke what I want, drink what I want, all this jazz, and I get to go to heaven. If your attitude is to give your life to Jesus and see if you, how far you can stay living in sin, you don't know Jesus. You don't know him. Because here's the thing Christians want to know. I know this by some of your questions as well. What's the fence? 
How can I still be saved one, heaven, one foot into heaven and a little bit toe into hell because I still want to party on this side? You know what I'm saying? Like, how can I stay the line? How can I get as close as I can, but I don't lose it? That's the mindset people will have. But the reality is, what God departs within us, if God's word is true, and you look at what the scripture says true, then it's my interpretation of the scripture and belief of the scripture is that what God starts, he will complete. That what God put in you, he will finish. Now, let me tell you this, because some of you are going, well, I don't really believe this. Or my grandpappy said, and you, that's great about your grandpappy. But let me tell you, I, I would encourage you, skim through books. Keep your face in the word of God, though. Skim through all the books you want to skim through. All the great theologians, all the great scholars, and all everybody debates back and forth. But keep your face in the Word. You know what the best interpretation for the Bible is? The Bible. So when you read the Bible, let me help you out here real quick. So many people want to cherry pick and take a verse out and sling and start throwing it. When you read a verse in the Bible, this is what's called systematic theology. The first thing you want to do is look at that verse in that paragraph. Make sure you look at it systematically in that paragraph. After you look at it in that paragraph, you want to look at it systematically in that chapter. After you look at that in that chapter, you want to systematically look at it in the book that it's written in. The book of John, Matthew, Mark, whatever it may be. After it's in that chapter, you want to look at it systematically in after Jesus had died, if it's in the New Testament, in light of also the Old Testament, which is what we would call systematic whole theology of the entire Scripture. Because Scripture, when we look at it, and go back and forth is will not contradict itself on this subject. So you can pull one verse and say, ha, ah, right there it is. And I'm like, well, let's look at what the whole Bible says about it. So the question is, does anybody, has anybody in the Bible ever lost their salvation? Oh, yes, Judas. Well, the Bible says Judas was never saved in the first place. So you can't throw up Judas. Uh, Demas. You even know Demas? Somebody's like, who in the world is Demas? Demas. The Bible says Demas went back out into the world and lived his way. Well, he was also a missionary. And he quit in the ministry and he went back working in the secular world. So we can't throw it out on Demas. He found somebody in the Bible that says they knew Jesus, gave their life to Jesus, and God damned them to hell. Can you find that anywhere? So in that light of that, since you can't, we have to look at the totality than what the Scripture says. I love what Jesus says. Man, I wish I had so much time to spend on this because there's so many more questions I want to get to. I don't want to spend all this time. But let me, let's show you. John 6. John 6. Jesus speaking here. Those that the Father gives me. September 2nd, 1997. Give my life to Jesus. I've been given to him. Those that the Father gives me. Watch this. Will come to me. The Holy Spirit draws you. You can't. Listen. People say, I'll get saved when I want to get saved. No, you won't. You will get saved when the Spirit of God draws you. The, only when the Spirit begins to draw you and begins to open your eyes of your heart. How does God draw people? He draws it by the gospel. That's why every Sunday I preach the gospel. That's why every Sunday people are saved. Not because of me, not because of a building, not because of a worship set. It's because the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. So if the Holy Spirit is drawing you like, man, I, I just sense that God may be, then you better respond. Because the day is the day of salvation. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. So John 6, look what it says. I love this. And those that will come to me, I will never reject them. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he's given me. But I will, watch this, will raise them up at the last day. 
I will never lose what the Father gives me. John 10, 10, our favorite verse, right? And it becomes still, can destroy Jesus. I've come that you can have a life, abundant life, real life, a better life. Keep reading down the verse, John 10, 10, John 10, verse 27. It says this, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. There's your litmus test. How do I know I love Jesus? I'm walking with Jesus. I hear his voice. I know him. He knows me. And I follow him. That's my sheep, he says. And he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Physically, you will die. But never perish in a place called hell. They will never, ever, ever be cast into the lake of fire. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. So either God's telling the truth or he's a liar. Paul writes in Philippians, what God started, I guarantee he will finish. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, probably one of the famous greatest passages, is that the Holy Spirit is a deposit that he's placed in you. Watch this, guarantee you that he will come back to get you. When the Holy Spirit is in you, it's a deposit guaranteeing that, that God will come back to get you. But pastor, I still sin. What if I, what if I sin? Then the Holy Spirit will convict you. And it's his kindness that leads you back to repentance. But what if I keep sinning? Well, there's a sin in the Bible called the sin unto death. And I don't know exactly what that is. Maybe you keep sinning so much, God says, time to come on home. There is a sin unto death. The scripture talks about that. But we know this, when you are secured, you are secure in Christ. And the moment that I give my life to Jesus, it's not how much I can still do all this worldly stuff and stay close to the world. When I give my life to Jesus, that breaks me and I will do everything I can to stay away from that. Because the Holy Spirit is now living within me. And listen, they are false believers. That's why the scripture says, test yourself. Make sure you're in the faith. Because your heart will lie to you. There's evidence, though, that you may know. Romans 8, 28, 29. God, those he predetermined, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he glorified. ED, all of those are past tense. You weren't even born yet. That means when God predetermined, he called you, he called you, he saved you, he saved you, he justified you. He justified you and he glorified you. These are all past tense, what he has done in your life. But pastor, there's that one scary verse in the book of Hebrews. Anybody's mind went there and you're like, I didn't know there was a book called Hebrews. You know that? Did your mind ever go there? I'm not afraid of this passage one bit. There's a passage that here's what, this is the passage that people will go to and say, ha ha, see, you can lose it. I got two words for you, systematic theology. When you look at it in the totality of the light of the scripture, what is it? And it's in Hebrews chapter 6. So I'm going to whet your appetite here. You could go and study this. This would be amazing. You'll probably have more questions you want to have after that. But that's fine. Remember, we have beliefs. We'll fight for beliefs. It's okay. We all have different beliefs. And I will say this. Because some of you are going, well, I don't believe that. And I never believed that. And listen, that's okay. Let me tell you this. You will never find a church you 100% agree with everything. Unless it's just you. And here's what I find out. You'll probably disagree with yourself eventually. Because what happens is you have a group of people inside of a church. I don't believe that. And the pastor shouldn't say that and do that. And they raise up and they divide the church. They hurt the body of Christ. And we, we, we plant churches out of division. And he's like, well, you don't look like us, talk like us, believe like us, and vote like us. You can't be a part of us. So they go over here and start their own church. And then just a few years down the road they're going, man, it's happening again. Because you're never going to find a place that you believe 100% 
or the opinions are 100% the same. And watch this. That's okay. Remember, it's about the core conviction. Jesus came. He died. He got up out of the grave. He, he lived a sinless life. Whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus will be saved. That's the conviction. And you get behind that, let's go after people. We could talk about our opinions. We could debate our beliefs. But that's conviction. Hebrews 6, real quick. For it's impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened. Uh-oh. Those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit. Oh, snap. Those who have tasted the goodness and the word of God and the power of the age to come. And who they, watch this, who then turn away from God. See, a lot of times they want to say this is apostate. This is people who committed apostasy. But he didn't use that word. He could have used that word, but he didn't choose to use There's a difference of those two words he used here. And I don't have time to jump into that, but there's a difference between those two words. He didn't say that. He said, turn away. It's impossible to bring such a person back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. For they themselves are nailing him to a cross once again and holding up him to a public shame. So this is the verse, cherry pick it. There it is. You've been enlightened. You tasted what's good. You saw the coming of the age and you turned away and you fell. And therefore, you can't come back to repentance. So listen to me. If you hold to that belief that you could lose your salvation, if that's the belief you hold to, which you're right to believe that, determine that, that's your belief. If you hold to that belief, you also have to hold in. If you lose it, you can never get it back. Because it says right there, you will not ever be, ever be brought back to repentance and to be saved again. Because what's happened, you would have to crucify Jesus over and over and over and over and over. You would have to nail him across again every single time that you sin or you lost it. So if you hold to position, you can lose it. You also have to hold to position, you can never get it back. And we know when we study the scripture that God will forgive your sins. Over and over. It's his first John 1. If you confess your sins, he'll forgive your sins over and over and over. So when you look at the context of really what's going on here, the author is not trying to determine and fix a debate between Arminius and Calvinist. If you don't know who those people are, thank goodness you don't. The author of Hebrews is not saying, you know what, hundreds of years from now, there's going to be John, there's going to be John Calvin and, and Ar Arminius, and they're going to debate back and forth, and I'm just going to throw a verse in there that's going to shake them all up. He wasn't even thinking about them. The funniest thing, the Arminius today and Calvinists today are more Calvinists and Arminius than Arminius and Calvin himself. If you don't know what I'm talking about, good for you. Don't, don't worry about it. What I'm trying to say is that's not the context. The author's purpose is not trying to defend the eternal security of a believer. When you look at the whole context of the book of Hebrew, what is going on is that these group of Christians were trying to hold to the Levitical sacrifice system. And they thought it's Jesus plus sacrifices that you have to continue to sacrifice what Moses offered up. We can't see in the text that they added sacrifices back to the system here. But that was the argument. It's the sacrifice that makes us right. And the author says, no, you don't understand. If you're going to hold to that, you're going to have to sacrifice Jesus every single time you sin over and over and over and over. And this is not talking about you lose it. It's not talking about the security of the believer. You have to put this in the whole context of the book of Hebrews and then the whole context of the other scriptures of what it says. The author's task is to show that Jesus has come. He's replaced the sacrificial system, which changes the entire Torah and how we are saved. Hebrews 7 verse 12. 
In fact, if you just keep reading, this is fascinating. Oh, man, I got five minutes to answer your other questions. And we're on a new schedule here. Hebrews chapter 6, if you just keep reading, in the same passage that you want to cherry pick Hebrews 4 through 6, skip down and look at verse 16 and following. Just real quick. Then Abraham waited patiently and received what God had promised. Because God cannot lie. Would everybody agree with that? God has the power to, but God chooses not to because it goes against his nature. Now, when the people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them accountable to it. And without any question, the oath is binding. God also has bound himself with an oath so that those who receive the promise, this is so good, man, could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Do you see that? In the same passage that you want to cherry pick and say you can lose it, he's saying, so God has given both a promise and an oath. Those two things are interchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to, from him and refuge in him can have great confidence as he hold to the hope that lies before us. God cannot lie. He saved you. He will save you. He will always save you and keep you. And when you die, when you get to heaven, you'll know on this one I was right. <laughs> it's my belief. I'll fight for that. You see what I'm saying? Right in the same passage, it's confirming that you can't. And I just want to encourage you. There's a book. I don't usually endorse books from the stage. Because remember, skim books. Just keep your face in the Bible. But here's a great book by J.D. Greer. Great pastor, great man of God. It's called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart. This book will help you understand doubting your salvation. Understand the security of your salvation. It's just a great little, little quick read. Really quick read, just to encourage you. This is the book. If that's you, you want to study it, this is a great resource to go through. So real quickly, in three minutes, oh my goodness, I'm going to bust through this really fast. So wrap it around. We can go ahead and bring the keys out at both of our locations. All right, here we go, real quick. Um, then what's the unpardonable sin? Really? Three minutes? Come on, Riley. Yeah, you're going to do this. So what is the, what's, the un, what's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? Because isn't that the one that God can't forgive? Awesome, great question. That's found in Matthew chapter 12. And in verse 31, Jesus says, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven, except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. So what is that? Well, let's say what it's not. It's not a moral sin. So he's like, yes, thank goodness. So it's not a moral sin. That's awesome. It's, it's not an intellectual sin that you hated God, because we know a lot of atheists that hated God, rebelled against God, and now they gave their life to Jesus. So it's not an intellectual sin. It's not a verbal sin. Like you've said something and therefore you said, uh, you know, you took God's name in vain and therefore that's blasphemy against God. It's not a verbal sin. When you look at the context, right? It's the context. The impartable sin is when you know Jesus, who he is, what he does, what he can do. When you willfully know and then you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. That's the impartable sin. So watch this. You being here this morning is evidence you haven't committed it. <laughs> because your heart would be so hard, you wouldn't even be in the place where you hear about God. Just the thought you worry that you may have committed the sin is evidence that you haven't. Does that make sense? So just so you record, it's when you willfully know and you attribute the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. That's what happened in that context because Jesus was performing miracles. They said, it's the devil that's doing this. And Jesus like, if the devil's against the devil, the house divided can't stand. Come on, man, use logic. But I will say, and he goes on, when you give credit to the work of the Holy Spirit, 
you blaspheme him by saying the devil's the one doing it. He says, that's the sin that works. So that's the context of Matthew chapter 12, verse 21. And then real quick, wrapping around real quick, does God, this was a big one too, people talk about, about divorce. Does God forgive divorce? Absolutely. There's not, a, there's not something God won't forgive. Yes, he will. Yes, absolutely. Now, it, just because I say he forgives divorce does not give you permission right now to go and get a divorce. That's one of those personal counseling you probably need to talk through about, let's, let's walk through that. But that's not the unpardonable for sin. Yes, we all make mistakes. You learn from those mistakes. Some of you got divorced before you even knew Jesus, before you became a Christian. You even know anything about how all that works and all that jazz. So that's a question. Yes, God does forgive that. What does the Bible have to say about cremation? Is it okay for a Christian to be cremated? Well, you know what's fascinating? The first time in American history, there's more people being cremated than body being buried. I mean, being buried. In fact, it's 50.2% of Americans today are choosing to be cremated. In fact, they said by the year 2035, 78% of Americans will choose to be cremated versus to be a bar, buried in a, a casket as far as your, your physical body. Now, when you look at the scripture, 1 Samuel chapter 31 is the first place we see a cremation happen. The, the king Saul and his sons were burned and then their body and then their bones were buried. When you look across the consensus, when it comes to the Christian, Christian tradition, the Bible does not directly forbid cremation because that's the big thing about your body and should they take care of your body and your body's a temple and, and you should you know, take care of this. When you look at it, the body does not forbid for someone to be cremated. Of course, we know this. God can resurrect a cremated body, can't he? From the dust he made us, from the dust he can pull us right back out. Just as the Christians who were burned at the, at the stake for preaching Jesus, God could resurrect them. Just as the Christians that you've already forgotten about in the Roman Colosseum that just for sport, they threw Christians out there and let the lions eat them to death. God is going to resurrect them. For the Christian at sea who lost their life and have sunk to the bottom of the oceans, who now to know what happened to decompose with the body, God can call them and resurrect them as well. So honestly, this is an opinion. It's a personal choice that you make. There's no right or wrong. There's no like a personal sin in that. You have to just work it in your own life. For me, my personal preference for me, this is my opinion. I have made the decision that I would want to be buried, not to be cremated. But that's just my personal opinion. So you don't have to, I'm not putting that on you. Um, but there's no one in the Bible that condemns you if you do choose to be cremated. But that was a great question. Uh, only one other person ever asked me that question, so that was good. And the last one, let's end on a good one. Do all dogs really go to heaven? <laughs> right? Do all dogs really go to heaven? And what do you tell that little girl? Mommy, daddy. Yes, honey, they'll be right there in your lap drinking sweet tea with you, right? You know, like, um, so really quick, uh, that's a legit question. Someone really has that question. Um, the answer is, I don't know everything there is about that. When you go to Isaiah chapter 11, here's what you see. You see that there are animals that God has created in the, when the age comes at, to the end. So there will be animals. You can see it through the scripture. You go to Isaiah chapter 11. He talks about there's a, there's a lion and a lamb that will be laying together there. And they will, they, will, they will be at peace. Sin has been removed. Basically be restored back to what the Garden of Eden was. When there wasn't this back and forth. When there, you can name the animal that Adam and Eve did and all that jazz. But your specific pet, well, here's what we know. Jesus didn't come to die for animals. He didn't even come to die for the angels that fell. That's another whole question if you want to ask. He came to die for you. And he came to die for me. You know, when you look at an animal, animal does have, we have a body, soul, and a spirit. The animal does have a body. It does have a soul. You would say that's your personality, how you're wired. We're all different. But the spirit to commune with God is what God has specifically gave to us who are humans. 
And Jesus came and died for us. Now, God knowing our hearts and knowing that eternity, whatever brings glory for him, and when we're the happiest in him and brings glory for him, could God have brought back when you get to heaven that specific thing? God could do anything. He could do anything. But the reality is, is this. We're going to focus on your heart and your life and what he's done in you. So I'm going to ask you real quickly, if you'll just bow your heads at both of our locations. I know some of these right here in 30 minutes you can answer all the questions and it sparks you to even ask more questions that is awesome if anything I said today drives you to the word of God drives you to study the Bible yes that's where you need to be get into God's word and let God begin to shape your heart and your mind through the word of God not just from what someone says from the stage at anywhere you go jump in the word of God and study it for yourself but for you who don't know Jesus And he's tugging at your heart. Give your life to him today. I beg you, give your life to Jesus today. Right where you sit, you say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe you got up out of the grave for me. And I believe you're coming back for me. Forgive me of all my sin because I just heard just now, Jesus, you forgive me of all my sin. My past, my present, and my future. And in that I rejoice. And if that's you and you called upon the name of the Lord, the Bible clearly says you will be saved from what? God's wrath. That will be poured out on those who don't know him. We want to help you and walk with you. We want to help you follow Jesus. Take your next step by going to the next step area. And let us help you take your steps and following Jesus. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to come. Talk about some of these things, these questions. Whet our appetite to go home and study your word. May we become people of the book. People of your word that wants to study it, understand it in the whole totality, not just one verse out of context. We love you, Jesus, and can't wait to see what you're going to do through the rest of this series. For it's your name we ask and we pray, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for joining us online today. If while watching this message, you were led to take a next step or made the decision to start following Jesus, we would love to celebrate with you. Let us know on our website at betterlife.church slash next steps. To stay connected throughout the week, download the Better Life app and consider subscribing to our YouTube channel or podcast. Lastly, if you'd like to support what God is doing through this ministry, you can give online at betterlife.church/givenow. We're praying you have a great week and hope to see you again soon.